0: Hello and welcome to the amateur football podcast. I have a very, very special, special guest and uh, a good friend of mine, Andy Mundy Castle, founder of Doc Hart Productions and also a serial producer, a, you know, exec producer, director of many, many shows um, that I'm sure you guys at home would have seen. How are you doing, sir? You forgot
1: Arsenal fan as well.
0: Oh, i an Arsenal Sorry, sorry. Sorry. Apologies. I'm an Arsenal fan. An Arsenal fan.
1: An avid yeah. Arsenal fan. Avid Arsenal fan. I'm I'm really well. I'm really well. And um thanks for having me on, Tabriz. Uh, I've been keeping tabs on your um your channel is going brilliantly. And yeah, ha- happy to be here. What kind of makes you get out of bed every single morning? Well, I- I'm fortunate enough that ever since the age of sort of 15, I knew I wanted to work with people and film and cameras. And I've had that dream for a very, very long time. So I'm really fortunate enough that I wake up every day doing the thing that, you know, in my fourth decade that I wanted to do when I was a teenager, you know? So I've honed that and I've loved it and I've kept on growing with it. And um, I'm really proud that that is what gets me up ticking every morning. I wake up, I think of ideas. I think of coming onto a podcast to speak to you about ideas. about um you know about films and about my career and that genuinely is the thirst for life for me that's just what keeps me going that's what gets me um that's what gets me up every day and obviously my kids who I can't who I can't help but get me up regardless
0: (laughs) I'd love to get your opinion if there's such thing as a bad idea when it kind of comes to film and documentary making
1: I wanted to say something like there's no such thing as a bad idea. The only bad ideas are the ones you don't speak about. Yeah. But the truth is there's a lot of rubbish ideas out there um, because there's a lot of lack of original thinking. And I think that that is because, you know, we're so suffocated with ideas at the moment. We're so suffocated with so much. There's just so much noise. Like it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. I've probably had sight of... Fifty different things, which all are fifty different ideas. Be it a news item, be it a piece of magazine, um, you know, a, an article in a magazine, be it a, a content on social media, be it this podcast. You know, there's people infusing you with ideas and content all the time, and so there is going to be a lot of bad ideas. Um, but then if i go full circle i say you know i commend anyone that takes an idea from something that's in the head and gets it out to the world because that's the challenge really how it's regarded when it gets out to the world is a whole different thing like you know critics are going to be critics and people who consume your content are going to have in varying you know variable varying variable responses so i um I think, yes, of course, there's going to be bad ideas. But I think having the idea and executing it is really, for me, what is kind of key and what I commend. What's could have been your biggest challenge
0: within the film industry?
1: It's an interesting question. I think, for me, the film industry is notoriously difficult to crack, right? It's like, it's the preserve in the arts of, like, upper middle class people, you know, kind of a certain type of mold as well. And you, you kind of um, have to overcome a lot of barriers. And so for me, I think that, you know, overcoming my own imposter syndrome in this industry has been the biggest challenge It's like, you kind of question whether or not you're supposed to be here or not. You know, you kind of question if, uh, you know, people, you know, making films is like, it's, it's luxury business. It's real business but it's, you know, it's kind of seen as, um, it's, it's not a must have, it's a nice to have, Hmm. you know? And so you're constantly checking yourself. Like me personally, I've had to constantly sort of revisit this idea of God, am I really supposed to be doing this? Is this real? Like for the first 10 years of my career. And now I'm in a bit, I've come over the hill and I've looked far back and the tunnel is too dark that I can only go forward. I, um, basically think that one of the biggest challenges for me is just over has has been overcoming the sense of whether or not this industry was for me fortunately i'm over that barrier now but that was the biggest um that has been the biggest challenge and i think it finds itself playing out playing itself out in different ways you're constantly having to deal with rejection which you know kind of is an industry known thing be it wherever whatever side of the industry you're on rejection is a massive thing sometimes you sort of think, am I still being rejected because of the imposter that I believed I was? You know, and, um, and so you have to overcome that, but you know, it's, um, if I talk about the fears, the challenges, that's kind of what is the persistent and perpetual issue.
0: We've like known each other for over 10 years and like, we've always joked and, you know, we've kind of always had a laugh. It's it's actually probably longer than that, actually. It's probably longer. Yeah. yeah, Probably 12, 13 years. And, and like you've always kind of been uh, an absolute. We even played football together. together. You we even thought you were a better striker than me. <laughs> <laughs> We've even played football together, which um, which I'll definitely um talk about later. But like also as well, you know, you are you are a very focused, driven individual, and and literally I can kind of look at you and say that you know there is a very sharp sharp side to you as well. You know, you are not. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like yeah, like you don't suffer fools lightly where where in your career was a turning point for you to say, "You know what, I have to take my career seriously?"
1: You know, like I said, I've been really fortunate that from an early age, I kind of knew there was a time for jokes, there's a time for work, there's a time for play, but when I'm working, I'm working. You know, and I don't like any kind of peripheral noise. And I, I don't know where I think that probably comes from the resilience of my mother, my brother, my older brother. You know, I come from a family of doers and people that are get up and goers. you know, so we'd wake up and have to help my mom set up her stall at six in the morning. You know what I mean? I'd have to. I'd, and that was when I was 12, 13. You know, and I also come from a family that's experienced real hardship, real failure, not even failure, real downturn. You know, so I think your emotional callous and your robustness for me, you know, I experienced moving home over 15 different times before the age of 15. And there's a resilience that's built up with that. So, you know, that if bailiffs are knocking on your door at six in the morning, ain't no time for a joke. You know, you got to kind of crack on and get going. And so... So so, so I, I experienced that very early. My family went through two bankruptcies, you know, had the high, we had the low, but it teaches you about risk and reward very early. Um, and then I suppose setting up my company in 2016, when I set up DocArts, I realized that there was no turning back and I didn't want to make a failure of this because I'd had previous businesses, which I kind of just didn't work out for one reason or, an, or another. Um, and you come to a stage where you think, okay, well, this is what I'm going to give my life to. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be committed to it. So I made a decision in 2016 to start up my company because I felt like in within the television and film industry, I'd hit pretty much a glass ceiling. I was doing everything that I could do for everybody else. I wasn't quite getting some of the films that I wanted to be part of for one reason or another. And so I decided to set up the company and use that as a vehicle to help, tell the stories that I wanted to tell. And and I suppose if there was a defining moment, it was March, 2016, when I realized that, you know, I was gonna facilitate everything I wanted to do through my own vehicle. And knowing that everyone who walked through my doors, everybody that I was responsible for was reliant on me to be successful and keep this going, have my integrity, and, um, and and keep on moving.
0: How did you feel as a kind of teenager um, within that kind of period of your life? Um, did you feel accepted, rejected, a chip on your shoulder? I would, um, I would like, really like to know.
1: Mm. I mean, look, it's a mixture of emotions, right? Uh, but you know, as a teenager, all you care about is playing FIFA, being with your friends, getting to school on time, coming home, Doing your homework if you had to but just generally getting by now when I reflect on that period I realize the impact that it had on me you know I realized that you know my parents were going through a divorce my the world was collapsing so looking back on that moment you can isolate it and you can kind of say god that must have been really tough for that young kid but as that young kid literally what bothered me or what was of interest to me was playing, um, you know, World Cup or first to hundred, or you know, kickups. Could I? Could I do? Could I? Could I get to fifty kickups without dropping the ball? Could we play goal to goal? Um, and genuinely, and I'm not saying that just because this is the football channel, but that was what was important to me. And then, obviously, at a certain age, girls got important. You know what I mean? So you kind of, you, 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 you all of those things just mesh into one. So you're sort of even clouded within your own noise in that time. Um, But then when I look back, I think it would have been hard, definitely. Like, you know, you kind of probably, you weren't, I wasn't in my feelings as the kids would say these days. I wasn't in the emotion, but reflecting on it, I can see the impact that it had on me emotionally.
0: Mm. What's the worst piece of advice someone has ever um, said to you?
1: Hmm. It's it's tough, isn't it? Because there's bad advice given all the time. I think... (laughs) I think the worst piece of advice, and it came from various places, was get a real job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so... I I had, from where I came from, I had no concept of what a real job is. People who know me and know me personally, and even, you know, you've seen me in an iteration of one of my previous businesses. I never had a formulaic idea of what it was to be in a job, you know. And even though there was kind of examples around me of um, people in jobs, the I, for me personally, and I know this isn't for everybody, but... I think the worst piece of advice was being told to get a real job. And, you know, fairly, I think, you know, my mum would have told me at one time, I remember my mum sort of, when I just graduated from university, she was sitting over my shoulder, watching me make a fool of myself in interviews on the phone, because back then, the interviews took place on a phone. Um, You know, but I had this constant thing of, why the hell do I need a job? You know, but you do, you obviously need to find your way. You need to find your way. Um, So for a long period of time, between the age of 23 and 28, I had um, a mishmash of jobs Mm -hmm. just to make make headway. You know what I mean? I had a real mishmash of, of jobs and I was just trying to find my feet. I appreciate that period now because obviously it's allowed me to be flexible with life. But yeah, that for me, for me personally, because I know it won't work for everybody. The worst piece of advice I was ever received was get a real job. (laughs) I didn't take it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Obviously. I mean, so
0: did that kind of fuel your, your, your focus even more? And did you feel that there was a, It's like on your shoulder, you know, I'm going to show this person wrong and X, Y, and Z.
1: Yeah, I I personally, I don't like the phrase chip on your shoulder. Um, I use the term imposter, you know, and I feel the idea of having a chip on your shoulder um, is also sort of a throwback to certain connotations around people of colour, you know, or people who are immigrants. So I try my best not to even... A tone to that that language. But I do understand that for me, there was always there's always been a <laughs> I've always had this little voice in my head which says, I'm gonna show you, you know, because I don't want to, you know, you, you kind of have to sort of say, you know, I suppose when you're a founder, when you're a business person, when you're an entrepreneur, if you have an idea, any voice of negativity, you have to drown it out. You can listen you can listen and you can listen to kind of good advice and you can take rational sort of thinking on board. But more often than not, people will always tell you something is not possible if it hasn't been done before. And when you're trying to kind of formulate a vision or when you're trying to lead a team, you have to say, let's go into the unknown. And that's dangerous for a lot of people. So I think it's less about the chip on the shoulder or sort of the feeling of i'm gonna you know i'm gonna prove you wrong but it's more about saying i'm gonna prove that my decision was the right one i needed to follow <laughs> a roundabout way of saying the same thing but you know it's kind of like <laughs> for me it's definitely about how you frame these things for yourself you know like i frame it so it matters to me and not dependent on anybody else you know if I have a good idea, I'm going to stick with it because I truly believe that it's a good idea, you know, and that, and I believe that the world needs to hear it, you know. And if it goes, then it wasn't such a good idea. The good ones don't leave you. The ideas that are burning inside of you that you know need to find a way out and you know they need to find a home, they never leave you. There's things I thought about 10 years ago that I haven't realized yet, you know. But they haven't. They haven't left.
0: And this is a great segue into your latest piece, "White Nanny, Black Child," directed by yourself. Why did you feel it was a story that needed to be heard?
1: "White Nanny, Black Child" was a is it is a documentary feature film that I've made, which basically talks about um, the Nigerian migration to Britain and the unfortunate byproduct of private fostering, because Nigerian parents, when they first came here post-independence to to Britain, they came here to study and work and make good and go back to their own countries and, and kind of build up Nigeria to the powerhouse that it is today. However, when they were here and they had children, those children needed to be looked after. So really, they looked to white nannies, often from lower income, working class British areas, like the, the, the real sort of dark deep parts of Essex, you know, parts of the South Coast, up North. And within that sort of trying to settle in a, in a different country in Britain, there was a lot of things lost in translation. And they were just trying to get by. They were just trying to survive. They were being resilient. They were still dreaming. So I really wanted to tell a story which kind of just pulled that all apart and said, OK, that was the dream this is what happened as a result of the dream. These are some of the children that were the products of that dream, whether it succeeded or whether it went um, sideways, you know, but I wanted to tell a story that kind of talked about that union of Britain and Nigeria, and then had some sort of revelation, some surprising bit of history at the heart of it. And that's what led to White Nanny Black Child and my decision to make that.
0: So when uh, one of your um QA sessions. Um I heard that you got really, really emotional on stage. Uh I would like, you know, look to Did know you? I don't uh, get emotional. That listen, you know what? That's just what I heard.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you like put um a lot of heart and soul um passion into you know this this like project.
1: Well it is it's interesting because we started this conversation with you asking me about kind of my journey in the career and the hardships that I've had to overcome or kind of that the path to becoming and I think if I recall correctly that point in that Q&A at which I got slightly emotional was when someone asked me about the journey of making the film and um, the film took me sort of five years to put together partly because pandemic halted things I also lost somebody that I was working with during the, during the making of the film, someone passed away due to COVID, and I'd started making the film with him. But moreover, it was also because the, um, the cinema in which we were showcasing the film was The Bricks and Ritzy. The Bricks and Ritzy was a cinema that I literally used to try by any means necessary to get in to watch films because I couldn't, you know, it wasn't sort of the, the pastime that someone could afford Do you know what I mean? Like, certainly, my mom was too busy. Although she could provide, you know, like I wasn't having the kind of um, support that I needed to to kind of indulge in that part of my my activity. I used to sneak into the Brixton Ritzy to watch films. So I was sitting on a stage in a cinema that twenty years prior I probably would have got in through a back door to watch a film of. And here I am showcasing a film in front of. 350 people, the room is full of emotion, the room is responding, and I'm talking about the journey of making the film, which made me reflect on my own journey throughout my career. And so it was quite a lot of emotion was going on in my head about what it had taken just to be sitting in that position to actually be talking to an audience about this film. But my internal monologue was talking about my whole life
0: we have to talk about football now. Um, Arsenal? Are, we, are you sure? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, <laughs>
1: we're, we're top of the league. You could do this after. You could do this in January when we probably will be <laughs> You must not. be
0: happy. With, you. <laughs> you must be happy with Arsenal's start.
1: Um, yeah, I, you know what? I think uh, I wasn't an Arteta believer in the beginning, um, but I, I'm a I'm a firm believer now. I'm trusting in the process. I think the style of football we're playing is amazing. Um, I, you know, I, I like the the shrewd business moves that are happening with the club as well. I think we've got that kind of um, we've got the early Wenger feeling back now, and it's interesting that it was obviously a protege of Wenger's that's that's that's, that's doing that, you know. So um, no, I'm, I'm 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 enjoying being an Arsenal fan at the moment. When <laughs> Arsenal fan TV isn't entertaining. <laughs> We're doing well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um and you could kind have of briefly spoke about, you know, you and I playing playing football together and um and like we had like <laughs> many a laugh and and uh, and you know what I think you was our designated penalty taker as well. I was I do remember have got a before. video of me taking the ball off you <laughs> at one stage. <laughs> yeah, I do that is so funny. But um what what was your biggest takeaway playing Saturday and Sunday league football?
1: Discipline. Discipline. I think about it to this day that, you know, when I was growing up, what football gave me was uh, discipline and a sense of unity, a sense of brotherhood. You know, amateur football and, um, you know, kind of Saturday, Sunday league has always given me a home away from the pain and the evils and the challenges of life. You know, when I'm on a pitch for 90 minutes, I lose myself on that pitch. You know, I completely forget about everything else. Like nothing bothers me. It's so cathartic. It's just so like, it's just so therapeutic for me being on the pitch, you know. And that's really what it did for me. It just created this safe haven. Although sometimes if you're playing with some people on a Sunday league, it wasn't too safe. (laughs) <laughs> but you know um but it did it created this um it just created a safety bed you know that, that didn't mean you have to think about the challenges outside of the pitch you know i, I love it for that reason I, i'm quite i've got an issue called um plantar fasciitis at the moment which is stopping me from playing the one bit of football i play every week which is with 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 a dad's group um and uh yeah that's that's kind of not not been fun for me the last four months wow andy andy money castle a founder of doc's heart
0: production honestly like i wish you well and i don't know if you remember when i think we you and i we snuck into a college can you remember and like we started doing some editing together this was well of course this is like before doc started you and I stuck in we we literally snuck into this college.
1: Mm. Are you sure it was me? Trust me, it was you, bro. <laughs> Trust me. It, and and, it, and it, literally... it feels like it reminds me of I remember we did I can't remember it being wrong or <laughs> I've got watch myself, Tabriz. I don't know who's uh, watching this. So um, uh, but, but I do remember, I do remember editing. Actually, I remember shooting some stuff with you as well. And um, it's great to see that you've kind of exercised your passion in this podcast too, you know, and I think it's a great way to keep connecting with people. You know, that's what this is all about. That's what this journey is all about. Thanks, 100%. And, and again,
0: Andy, I, you know, I kind of want to give you, like your roses. is now, um, you are so dedicated. You are very honest. You are very black and white. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you are funny as well. Uh, you know, um, I still re- remember meeting you in Brixton. You was like, "Oh, mm. Tabriz," like, "Yeah, like you and I, I." You know, we're gonna go watch something together. I'm like, "Okay, cool." Like, let me just kind of make sure everything's all right with the misses first before before swanning off. But I mean, again, like you know, um, um, you are one of those people that, for me, uh, it's kind of not only film makers or or actually people in the industry have to watch out for but in the next two three years um I think a lot more people are gonna know about you worldwide so um yeah Andy thank you thank you so much for coming no
1: thank you thank you and I I appreciate that I appreciate the flowers being given um I'm fortunate that I do this for the love and not for the likes